Today, we're in our second week of our book of Philippians series. Since you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to always bring a Bible to church and a notebook, a way to take notes. I'm old school, so I like to handwrite my notes, even though my handwriting's terrible. Uh, I still, I'm the only one that can read it, so I can say whatever I want about you, and you just don't know. Anyway, uh, always bring a Bible and a notebook to church or a way to take notes. I think it's good for you to go back on that as well. I've titled the message today, Be Faithful to Jesus Even in Your Pain. Be Faithful to Jesus Even in Pain. I've pastored a long time, and I've, I've watched people who get really high on the Lord and really good and close to Christ, and then crisis happens, and it's sometimes one of the first things that we run away from, and let me encourage you to run into Jesus, run into his family, into the church when life is hard. I don't know about you, but I can't stand pain and suffering. I hate it. I hate being hurt. I hate being sick. My wife says I'm a terrible patient. She hates it when I'm sick because I'm miserable. I just am terrible. Some people have this dumb statement. They say, no pain, no gain. I like my version. No pain, please. Like, that's good. No pain. No pain. And, and part of my personality, it's a weakness. I'm a bit of a worst case scenario hypochondriac. So anytime I'm sick or injured, if I dislocate something or if I hurt my back, I think I got a tumor and I'm gonna die. Like I start planning my own funeral. I've literally planned my own funeral. What building would it be in? Who would speak? Like, cause I got a sinus infection. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just, I hate being sick. I don't like physical pain. I don't like the turmoil of relational pain. I don't like it. I don't like it when things are hard. I especially don't like it when well-meaning good people say dumb stuff when things are hard. Can I get an amen from anybody? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like the bumper sticker slogans. Don't come at me with that, bro. Like my life is hard and somebody put their arm around you. Hey, bro, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it out of my face if you don't back up now. Don't come at me with that. Somebody will say things to you like, everything's gonna be all right. Okay, everything, everything. I start you know, like parsing their words. Every single thing in the whole world is gonna be right. And then this is my favorite. My wife and I had a total lost fire uh, two years into marriage. We lost everything, We're totally homeless. I didn't even own socks anymore, y'all. It was all gone. And somebody called me and uh, told me that afternoon, they said, man, you'll look back on this as one of the greatest days of your life. I said, I will stab you in the throat. Get out of my face. <laughs> Not really. I didn't stab that person. But y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, don't come at me with plat. Just hold on to that. Just sometimes what we need is people to just be present and silent. Like, just don't say nothing. Anyway, that was a little freebie for you. Clearly, I'm working through some stuff. Maybe you're walking through something right now, and it doesn't feel good, or it's stressful, or it's painful. It's given you an unsettled feeling about what's to come or how are you doing. I want us to see today that we can choose to trust God. We can choose, like make the conscious decision in spite of circumstances that we can trust that God is a faithful God. We can trust that we can be faithful to God no matter what. Hey, no matter if it's really good or it's really hard, I'm gonna be faithful to the Lord and I'm gonna trust God Again, can I hear an amen, everybody? In fact, let me just pause and encourage all of you with something real quick. If you don't know this, um, we love to pray for you. We offer pastoral care and counseling. And let me just encourage you, if you're in a tough season, maybe your health's failing, your job situation's unsure, you're dealing with some relational pain, or you're just in a low spot personally and emotionally, and even you're depressed or considering self-harm, 
I don't want you to lean away from the body of Christ with Jesus. I want you to lean in. In fact, again, like as long as I've been a pastor, I've just watched people when things are hard, they, one of the first places they pull away from is the church. And they'll say, well, I'm embarrassed or I, I feel like a failure or I don't wanna burn anybody or I don't wanna deal with the shame of the church. That ain't this church. I don't know what church you came from, but we won't shame you. We will surround you. We will pray with you. We will walk with you. So I wanna ask you if you're in a spot where you're in a hard spot. On the QR code, on the seat backs or on our website, it's here on the screen for you. Again, it'll pop up in a moment. But also in the seat backs, we have these prayer cards. And I wanna ask you to fill that out and lean in and let our pastors come around you and let a small group come around you and care for you. I believe part of choosing joy and choosing to trust God is choosing to lean into the church as well. All right, coming back to my sermon here, as we walk through this entire Philippians series, there's this overall theme. Scholars say the book of Philippians has a theme of joy, finding to choose joy no matter the circumstances. Well, joy is a noun. Joy is a thing, it's a, it's a belief and a confidence in the Lord, it's a trust in God. But the action verb form of joy is the word rejoice. It's the outward action of an inner reality. I have joy, so I do rejoice. If you remember last week, we said, for the Christian, joy is not a feeling, it's not, the, it's not synonymous with happiness. Joy is an, it's a deep assurance that God is in control and that we can trust him completely. Joy has way more to do with Jesus than it does my circumstance. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So listen, when joy is on the inside of you, rejoicing is what comes outside of you. When joy is on the inside of you, rejoicing comes out of you. And you and I can learn and choose and decide that no matter what happens, highs or lows, good or bad, stress or success, that we can rejoice, we can choose to rejoice, and it's not just faking it till we make it, it's deciding that my God is greater than what's happening to me. And we can choose joy and we can let out rejoicing in every circumstance, in triumphs, in when things are going well, when we have some good days. In fact, can we just take five seconds and rejoice in the Lord always, everybody? Can we just show the Lord some pleasure today? Come on, let's go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. We're gonna see that in chapter four, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know it's emphatic when you repeat yourself in print. It's one thing to repeat yourself speaking. Like, did you hear what I said, everybody? It's a freebie for you to say, yes. Did you hear what I said, everybody? Yes. But it's another thing to say, did you hear me when you wrote it? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice, exclamation, pert. Can I hear an amen, everybody? We can learn to say, praise the Lord. That's amazing. Lift our hands and worship and say, God is so good. I don't care where I am. You can catch me saying, praise God. We're at a basketball game, at a grocery store. We're in a hospital. I don't care where I am. I don't, I don't just say praise the Lord for worship time on Sunday. I choose to rejoice all the time. But what about finding joy and rejoicing when it's hard? What about choosing to lift your hands and worship God when the relationship fails, your health falls apart, when accidents happen beyond your control or when pain enters the picture? When we choose joy and we choose to rejoice and we choose faithfulness in hard times. I've shared the story before in 2004, 2004, my wife and I lost everything in a fire. And there was a time when I'm watching the building burn and they're pouring water, 13 fire trucks around our building. It's gonna be a total loss. 
And I, w- I remember commanding that fire not to come on my building, on my apartment. Like, you can burn all of them, God, but don't let it come nigh me. I'm commanding scripture. I'm throwing the Bible like, and then my apartment caught on fire. It was out of my control, devastating. My wife's weeping. We lost everything. Two years married, no insurance. Please get renter's insurance. But I, I stepped away to a, another part of the apartment property and I just stood there by myself with my hands raised and I said, God, I'm your son and that's your problem. That fire is your problem. I choose to worship you today. I believe that you're good. I believe that you're gonna walk me through this and I choose to, to lift my hands in worship. And I remember standing in that parking lot alone trying to muster up a song to sing to God in worship. It was the most counterintuitive thing I'd ever done, but I just remember choosing to trust God when everything I owned was literally going away. How do we do that? How do we learn? I, can't, I don't even know that I knew how to do that prior to that day, but it's taught me forever that we can go through hard things too, everybody. And the Apostle Paul teaches us through the book of Philippians how he was able to find joy and rejoice in the midst of terrible circumstances. He rejoiced throughout scripture. We see Paul would rejoice when God used him in miracles. He rejoiced when people were committing their lives to Christ. He would rejoice when his spiritual sons were pastoring churches. Well, I'm so proud of you, Timothy and Titus. But he also could rejoice when he was chained to the wall of a Roman prison cell, held for crimes he never committed, having to endure so much pain. I'll show you this in a moment, but but let me just show you first, God can give purpose to your pain. We love to see the purpose in the pleasure, right? Like, look how much God's blessed me. Oh, look at the blessing of my life. God's been so good. How about pain? God can give purpose to your pain. Let me show you from the text here. Philippians chapter one, verse 12. If you remember, Paul is in prison and he's saying, it's kind of you, I pray for you guys all the time. I, I long to see you again. I'm praying for you to grow in knowledge and discernment, love, blameless in every way, filled with the fruit of the spirit. And then he says in verse 12, I want you to know brothers, that what has happened to me, look at this, what has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. I find it really interesting too that Paul's finding purpose for others in his pain. Some of us, when we go through pain, we go, God, what are you trying to do for me? How about what is God trying to do through me for others? Paul says, I want you to understand that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become, look at this, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard, all the Roman officials, all the leaders of the Roman uh, military, the entire imperial guard and all the rest, they have come to know that my imprisonment is for Christ. I just want to remind you of where Paul was, the photo of his prison cell. We showed it last week, but ceiling about five feet high, he's, he would be uh, chained to that back wall there on the left side of that center, those stones in the middle, there's a, floor, a hole in the floor that possibly would have been where they fed him from, but more likely where he used the bathroom. So he's sitting there chained to the wall next to his own porta potty, can't stand up, no sunlight, rats probably in the room, and he's, he's sharing a prison cell with convicted murderers and rapists and really bad people, and he's there for preaching about Jesus. He's there as a, a falsely accused apostle who's stirring up dissension. He, he's been in prison and incarcerated for going on or over three years at this time. And he says, I want you guys to know that all that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Man, what an incredible 
glass half full, see the bright side, I can trust God no matter what attitude. In fact, I just wanna tell you some of the other things that had happened to Paul. He doesn't list it in Philippians, so I'm gonna come out of Philippians for just a second. Let me show you in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives like a list, and I've, I've actually truncated the list uh, there's more that he says here and he talked, he kind of goes on a little bit longer. Let me just show you what he told the Corinthians, the things that had happened to him in his time in ministry. He says, with far greater labors, in other words, I work really hard all the time, far more imprisonments. This in Rome is just one of his imprisonments. Countless beatings. How do you quit counting how many times you've been beaten? You know what I'm saying? Countless beatings, often near death. He says this, Five times I've received by the hands of the Jews, his own tribe, his own people. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Let me tell you what that is. The 40 lashes less one is part of how they scourged an individual for crucifixion. If you remember the Passion of the Christ, the movie or depicts it really brutally. They would take this cat of nine tails, this whip with leather and stone and rocks and glass at the end and they would lacerate the back of you and rip your skin off of your body. And they said medically and judiciously, no one could survive 40 lashes. They would die, go into cardiac arrest or their body would go into shock. So they always stopped at 39. Jesus went through 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Paul says, I've been through that five times for preaching, for ministry. Sometimes I wanna look at young pastors and go, your life's not that hard. Your ministry is not that tough. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews. You gotta remember, he grew up in this tribe. He was a Pharisee of the Jews. He was a teacher of Jewish law and training. And they're the ones five times that have whipped him 39 different times. Three times he said, I was beaten with rods. This is how they would investigate somebody. They would inquire of them and they would slam them with dowel rods. He said, I've taken that three times. Once I was stoned. Now, this ain't Colorado stoned here. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? <laughs> Some of y'all didn't even know what to do with that joke right there. <laughs> what did he say? This is bury him up to his waist and chuck rocks at his head. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I mean, we read about one in Acts last uh, spring. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I was just floating in the sea for 24 hours. I've been on frequent journeys. I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles. The people I'm trying to reach have tried to kill me. I've been dangerous in the city, dangerous in the wilderness, dangerous at sea, dangerous from false brothers, Christian brothers who have come in to try to attack me. Paul said, I've been in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food. We, we choose to fast in January, right? Paul's like, no, I ain't choosing to fast. I'm just starving because no one will feed me in cold and exposure. And apart from all of that, look at what Paul said. He's such a heartfelt pastor. He goes, in spite of all the external things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety or the stress I carry for all the churches I pass through. And you know what that means? He goes, with everything I've been through, I actually care about what you're going through too. I pray for you guys all the time. Your family's falling apart. Your health is unsure. You've lost a dad. You've lost a loved one. You've, you've gone through financial crisis. And he says, and I carry all of that as well because I love you. Man, what a, what a life. I don't know about you, but that's some pain. And Paul shows us how to choose joy, how to decide to have joy. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell. Honestly, I think part of him's thinking, well, at least I'm safe in here. But he's in his prison cell writing this. He says, verse 12, look at it again. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has actually helped serve the advance of the gospel. 
that everybody has realized that my imprisonment, all my beatings, my danger, my risk, all of this is to make much of Jesus. Here's what I wanna remind you. Joyful people are selfless people. And even in suffering, you can say, man, God, what are you gonna use this for for others? Choosing joy means we look at the highlights of our life and the lowlights of our life and we go, God, what can you do with me to be a blessing to others? Paul chose to let his pain point become a touch point for others to meet the Lord Jesus. What can God do with your life of pain? What can God do with the advance of blessing on your life? Listen, some of you in this room, you become multimillionaires, you become the most successful person in your career and that's fantastic. What can God do with that? Is it only for you? What some of you are going through some really hard stuff today and it's stuff that no one in your family or no one in your circle has ever walked through before. What can God do with the story that he's writing with your life? And everywhere in between, from the highest of high to the lowest of low, what can God show you and show others about how he uses your life in tough times? And are we willing to see that God's up to something even when it's unpleasant for us? I don't know about you, but when my life is hard, I go, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? What are you trying to teach me, God? What are you trying to show me, God? And Paul's going, I'm just glad that he's letting others be blessed by my suffering. He's gonna go on in just a second, but watch this. In James, uh, the apostle James is the younger brother of Jesus Christ. He writes the letter called James, and he says this in James chapter one, verse two. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with this verse, by the way. I just wanna tell you on the front end. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, look at this, produces something. It's productive. It produces steadfastness or steadiness. How many of you know you only get more mature as you go through stuff? And he said, and steadiness, let it have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love this verse because it's in the Bible and I hate this verse when it's in the mouth of people given to me. You know what I'm saying? Everybody going through something, they go, well, count it all joy, brother. Bible says, count it all joy. Give me them kneecaps. That's what we're going to count right now. But it's a great reminder. Listen, it doesn't say just laugh it off. Find it hilarious. What he's saying is count it a joy. What's, it's not a joy. Listen, it's not a joy that you're in a trial. It's a joy that God's in the trial with you. Here's the joy, that you're going through something and God sees that and he's like, hey, let's go through this together. And what'll happen is as you lean into the Lord in the midst of a trial, God's gonna build some strength in you. He's gonna build some muscle in you. He's gonna build some steadiness in you that will mature you and help you in your life. I wanna talk to the person going through something. Don't count it a joy that you're in a trial. That's just, that's just naming and claiming the wrong thing. The joy is that God is with you in your trial. Can you trust and believe that today, that God is with you and he'll show up? Later, Paul would write to the church at Rome in Romans 8. Ironically, we're reading Philippians from the Roman prison, but he writes the letter to the Roman Christians from another place. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Everybody say, all things. That's good and bad and everything in between. He said, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You gotta be able to look your life in the face and go, God's gonna do something with this life of mine. God's gonna do something with the highlights and the lowlights. God's gonna do something with my pain. And Paul found purpose in his imprisonment. Paul found purpose in his pain. 
He was in a terrible situation, but he found the silver lining. He found the good news in spite of bad news. He realized that God was still good when the world around him was bad. He saw the pain in his purpose, and it's in verse 14. Remember, he said in chapter one, verse 12, I want you to know that what's happened is served to advance the gospel, so it's become known to everybody. And then look at this, verse 14. And most of the brothers now have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Here's what's happening. They're going, oh my goodness, Paul's willing to go to prison for this. We believe more boldly. And he says, and they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because Paul can go through it, we can go through it. Because Paul can endure this, we can endure this. And they're starting to say, man, this gospel is true. We're willing to give our lives to this. And Paul's saying, that's the reason I'll go through this is so that they can preach it more boldly. Listen, you might have to walk through some stuff so that your kids can learn to trust God more. You might have to go through some things so that your coworkers can learn to lean into the God that you say you serve. You can do hard things. There's purpose in hard times, just like there is in good times. But ultimately, it's not just to advance your life, it's to advance the good news of Jesus. And when we learn to trust him and have confidence in him, listen, it inspires and motivates others to walk with the God that we say we trust. When you allow God to show you purpose in every circumstance, and listen, I need this sermon for myself today. Just yesterday, some things happened to me that I was so angry, and I go, God, why did you let this happen to me? Like, I was just mad. And I'm hearing this sermon today going, are you listening, Mike? When you allow God to show you purpose in every circumstance, when you live with an open hand to the Lord, say, God, do what you want with my life, then God can get glory when you trust him. That's choosing joy. That's rejoicing. That's praise the Lord in spite of, in spite of struggles. God, I don't know why you're letting me go through this, but I'll trust you. I'll believe you. I'll rejoice in you no matter what. Can I hear an amen from somebody today? So here's, listen, just as an action step, when you're going through great things and hard things, when you're, when you're fully exposed on national television, when, when, you, when your life is just going great, go, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what do you want to do with this? When you're walking through hard times, Lord, how can my pain bless others? How can, how can I grow from this? Many of us get so fixated on our situation, we don't get fixated on the God who's over our situation. So I just want to encourage you to pause and pray. Stop and talk to the Lord about it. He can use any situation if you let him. Second thing we're going to see in this text is Jesus is way more important than what Paul's going through. Jesus is more important than anything. That's an easy amen statement, by the way. Jesus is more important than anything. Yeah. Write these notes down if you can. Paul's in prison, so he's no longer preaching. He's been grounded from flying, so to speak. He's not on the circuit. And while he's in prison, literally there are other ministers that are flexing opportunity to tear him down and to take over his platform that God had given him. This is the craziest thing, y'all. It's so petty. Watch this in verse 15. He said, uh, many of the brothers, verse 14, have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and they're much more bold to speak without fear. Some are indeed preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. Can you imagine? Paul's in prison, now three years for preaching and some people are flexing on Paul's imprisonment going, hey, hey, I, look at me, listen to me as a pastor. At least I ain't in prison. Right, isn't that petty and stupid? But we still do the same thing in the ministry world today. I'm just gonna tell you, it's the truth. Some are preaching Christ from envy and jealousy or rivalry of me. Some are doing it from goodwill. Some are like, oh man, my pastor's in prison, so I'm gonna pick up his mantle and keep preaching. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here because I've been defending the gospel. The former group, they're proclaiming Christ out of their own selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but they're thinking they want to afflict me in my imprisonment. Like they're going to go stick it to Paul. Ha <laughs> ha. Look at you. You got arrested, pastor. Like, listen, I just want to encourage all of you. If your pastor goes to jail, please don't throw shade on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, just go, well, he went for preaching gospel. Like if I show up in an orange jumpsuit on ClarksvilleNow.com, everybody, y'all know what I'm saying? By the way, I'm gonna go in style and be like, hey, <laughs> my mugshot, hey, hey, what's up? <laughs> don't look at, <laughs> don't, don't look at the, at the what, why was I even talking about that? Anyway, <laughs> so, so there's some preachers that have come up and they've taken Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity for themselves to take over his platform. And some have doing it out of love. What a weird flex. Can I just pause and talk here for a second? Like, the Apostle Paul was in prison for preaching a, a, a gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't doing it for himself. And some other preachers and ministers are using it as an opportunity to put him down and grow their own influence as preachers. And that, that pastors and preachers would be so petty and show up with ulterior motives. It's just unnecessary. It's ungodly. And it's actually still common. I'm just going to tell you guys. We are called in our Christianity to proclaim Jesus, not to proclaim the pain of his followers. But some were, and I'm afraid some still are, selfishly motivated. That's true in all types of professions, by the way, not just ministry, but it is also in ministry. It's a weird thing to think about, but here's where it looks like in our life. We celebrate when somebody has a hard day and then we go, well, hey, let me, let me jump in and take opportunity. Or we, we, we peddle Jesus for personal gain, taking advantage of the pain of others to platform ourselves. Their pain, my gain. It's all over social media. By the way, as your pastor, I committed years ago, I will never publicly castigate other preachers of the gospel. Our work is hard enough without our own people killing each other. I love that Paul could have named names. I love that Paul could have led from frustration. He could have demonized people, but here's what he said. What then? In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, they're proclaiming Jesus. And in that, I rejoice. Man, what a mature man. What a, what a godly man to say, hey, they can throw me down all they want, but if they're preaching Jesus and people are getting saved, Man, fine, whatever, I don't care. Christ is being proclaimed because Paul realized my life is not my own. I serve at the pleasure of God and his kingdom is more important than my kingdom. Paul is choosing joy when circumstances were less than ideal. He's locked up, there's questionable ministry happening, shady characters, probably people saying things that he wouldn't agree with. But he bottom-lined it, he said, but look, people are getting saved, so fine, whatever, I rejoice in that. That's a conscious choice towards God's heart and plan. Can I invite us as a church? Look at me, everybody, the real me right here. Can I invite us as a church to feel the same way? First of all, regarding other churches and ministries, can I just tell all of you, there are literally hundreds of churches in our region and we are not in competition with any of them. We are on the same team. We are preaching Christ and him crucified. I don't understand why Christianity has tons of denominations anyway and divisions. Frankly, the devil doesn't have any denominational divisions. Only Christians do for some reason. So we just don't flex there. We don't care. That we got all these differences, but can we learn to love each other, celebrate each other, platform each other, and make sure when people are getting saved, that's all that matters. As a church, we bought and built Easter in Clarksville.com and gave it away to any church in town that wanted it. We said, man, if you're preaching Jesus on Easter, we want to promote your church and fill it up. We're not trying to just fill up life point. We're trying to fill up heaven. And so we're not going to take the pain or the default or, or the fault or the failure of other ministers as an opportunity to step on their throat. Never, never. Life point. We love the local church. We love where Jesus is lifted up. We celebrate what God is doing in other churches and we fan the flame of that. We must stay connected and supportive to other churches. There are a lot of churches in this town that love what God's doing in our church. And there are some in our town that don't. And we still love them and we'd still bless them no matter what. 
We also don't major on dumb stuff. We don't major on minors here. We're not gonna create conflict over the third and fourth level beliefs. Let me just tell you real quick what we believe at LifePoint. Here it is, you ready? We believe the Bible is true. We believe Jesus is God and he's the only way to find salvation. We also believe that you gotta be born again. And we believe you can live a Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-led life. You know what? Everything else, we can differ, we can debate, we can whatever, but I'm not gonna lose family or friendship or, or fraternity with you because you have a different view on worship style. Well, we're only contemporary skinny jeans and blue lights and smoke, or we want robes and choirs and hymns and hymnals. We're not gonna argue over women in ministry, how old's the earth, mapping out the end times, spiritual gifts. Do y'all believe in speaking in tongues or not? References on prophecy, denominational differences, and who we voted for for president. I don't care about none of that stuff. We believe the Bible is true. Jesus is the only way of salvation. You gotta be born again. You can live a spirit-filled life. And if you wanna win an argument with me on any of that other stuff, you're buying lunch. And I'll let you win, I don't care. And Paul's attitude is, even the rivals that are coming against me in my prison are preaching Jesus, I rejoice. Listen to me, we need to focus on Christ and his word, a life full of the spirit. Let's have unity where there's unity around Jesus. I don't understand why Christians can be so notorious for not getting along. And can we also not look at the pain of others as opportunities for our own pain, our own gain? No pain, no gain, but your pain is my gain. That's sinful. Can we choose to lift others in their affliction, pray for God's grace on their lives, rejoice and serve those that are in a down season? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Yes. Finally, I wanna come back to verse 18 here and I, I want us to let our lives proclaim Jesus. I gotta close quickly. Please don't leave, let me close this message because I got a challenging question for you and then we'll pray. I want our lives to proclaim Jesus. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, everybody say every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. Paul says in that I rejoice. This becomes a major theme of the book of Philippians 2. In fact, it leads us into my favorite verse of the whole Bible. But I wanna challenge us as a church. Not only do we desire that Jesus is proclaimed in our church, Jesus is proclaimed in our small group or even in our culture, I just wanna ask you this question. Does this verse find value and reflection in your everyday life? Are you and I able to, to, to say about our own lives, whether in pretense and truth, that our entire life in every way, just, just park right here where I have it highlighted, in every way Christ is proclaimed in Mike's life. In every way Christ is proclaimed in my family. In every way Christ is proclaimed in me. That our whole lives would be a display of the goodness of Jesus. This is actually a center point message for our church and for us as followers of Jesus, that in every way, we would want our lives to proclaim Jesus Christ. Paul was writing from a prison cell knowing that others were being emboldened by his faithfulness to Jesus. You and I aren't in that situation, right? But does it actually seem like others would see your life and see the proclamation of Jesus by how you live? Would they hear the gospel by how you choose joy and affliction? Would they, would they understand Christ more because in every way your life is walking in a way that celebrates Jesus and lifts up his holy name? If I can skip ahead for just a moment, my favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 1.27. I call it my tattoo scripture. It's part of next week's sermon. But you and I get to choose joy and we get to what he says here in verse 27. Only let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel. 
How do you live your life? Well, I only let it be in a way that honors the gospel. The NIV says it like this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Can I say whatever happens is whatever happens. Whatever happens. Lose a loved one, lost a job, had a great promotion, got a bunch of money. Like you became an influencer on social media and you got a blue check. Whatever happens. Live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Listen, your life will have highs and it will have lows. Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have pain. You also have a God with you in the midst of pain. God wants you to know that his presence and joy is good for you and it's, it's, it's with you in the good days and the bad, that he's for you, he's with you, and he's pleased with you. So no matter what happens, how hard it is, choosing joy is about choosing to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of his gospel. I think part of choosing joy is choosing in every way for Christ to be proclaimed in us and through us. Can I hear an amen from the church today, everybody? God, we have heard your word today and we receive it by faith in Jesus. We receive, Lord God, what you're trying to speak to us and teach us today, that God, you have a, you have a way of life for us that's different than this world. Our world says to have vengeance. Our world says to be afraid. Our world says to, to get answers and demand retribution. But God, we have a, a Lord who teaches us to walk in humility and to love others more than ourselves to reflect the Lordship of Christ in every situation. God, today we confess our submission to Christ. We, we confess again that we trust you and we believe in you and we'll walk with you. And Lord, we will choose to rejoice in high times and low times, everywhere in between, God. We will choose to rejoice, we'll choose to trust Jesus. God, when, when our world is going great, we'll choose to rejoice. And God, when things seem very unsettled, We'll choose to trust you, to rejoice in you, to call upon you and to celebrate that you are still good. God, we thank you that you will never leave us. You'll never walk away from us. Even when we are tempted to walk away from you, God, you'll never walk away from us. We can always turn our face back to you and meet you in those places, in prayer and worship in our church. God, we thank you in Jesus' name that our joy would be made complete because of our relationship and intimacy with the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, today we just reestablish our confession that we wanna live in a way that pleases you all the time. Hey, church, can we just open our hands? Everybody around this room, open your hands to the Lord. Stand on your feet if you want. Lift your hands to the Lord. Come on and pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sin and he raised from the dead to give me eternal life. Say, I am all in. I choose to trust you. I choose to believe you. I choose to rejoice in my good God who is good forever. You are holy, you are matchless. Say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours to the glory of God in Jesus' name.